here we go. Welcome to LinkedIn Live with Jack Kelly and my special guest. Oh, this is, dude, this is going to be one of the best podcasts, LinkedIn Lives ever, because I've been Mana here. He is a GovCon, government contract recruiter, which is so different than what most recruiters do. So especially given what's going on in the world right now, who better than Ben to give some sense of like, what the heck is happening? So Ben, can you tell us, I'll put the ball to you, can you tell what you do and how this works for government contracting and cybersecurity and all this kind of deep state stuff? <laughs> Dude, wonderful deep state stuff. It's it's always funny how that's uh, been a thing over the last few years. But my name is Benjamin Mena. Uh, I you know me and my wife we own Select Source Solutions. Uh, maybe a few people might have seen me around. I'm the host of the Elite Recruiter Podcast, where I've actually hosted Jack Kelly himself on the podcast, and we just like highlight what recruiters are doing to help win. Another awesome podcast, just like Jack Kelly's live. But yeah, we primarily focus on government contracting. We've been in that space for almost 20 years, a combination of uh, agency life, uh, internal recruiting, and then our own firm. But yeah, it's a, it's an interesting space. It's There's never a dull moment. And it's one of the cool things that you see. It's, it's a space where you do recruiting and you can see those real results on a, like, on a global level, what you've done. So, but yeah, that's a little bit about me. It's, it's kind of funny being on the other side of the fence. Normally I'm the one asking all the questions. Right, right. So out. it's weird now. <laughs> well, first of all, I got to get something straight. 20 years, dude, you don't look like you could have been what, you like five when you started, you know, recruiting. What's the deal? Am, you look so I'm over, young. I'm over 40. So I'll, okay. I'll take that as a compliment. Thank you. <laughs> it is a compliment. Yes. All right. So 20 years. So with government contracting, as I understand it, it's it's so different because you need clearances. You need all sorts of things. You can't just work on a job order. I mean, there's a lot to it, right? Well, it's it's one of the things. It's let me take a few steps back yeah. and talk about how the government operates. So the government, like once they kind of ask for help, and I'll use this, I use this example all the time. So the Pentagon recently just asked for some help to move the joint warfighter effort over to the cloud. And they're like, hey people, companies, can you guys help us do all this work? This program is going to be worth $9 billion across 10 years. So what happens is companies put together teams and they put together like pr proposals telling the government, this is exactly how we're going to do it. Here's our pricing structure. Here's the way our team's going to look like. And here's how we're going to be able to set up this program for success. Now, the, the program that I just used, most of the time, one company wins the program. But due to some politics with a Jedi program, that was another $10 billion program and all this other stuff, uh, the Pentagon made this a multi-award. So you know, Amazon, Microsoft, and a few others got to play. So what they do is they, once they like win the award, they bring in their own teams, staff everything up, and then service to the government. And this, this is like hundreds of billions of dollars a year, is, or maybe not hundreds of billions, but billions upon billions upon billions of dollars a year is spent by the federal government solving problems and those government contractors are the ones that are solving problems so what we do is we help those government contractors staff up and it's a different world because like there's clearances there's ins and outs like you know it's one of the fun things about like when you're dealing with a, new, a potentially new client like one of the first questions i ask is is have you already won this work or is this in a proposal mode because a lot of times when you're proposing that you're going to like solve the problem for the government you have to put a team together. So like, 
you know, I've seen many new recruiters like trying to mess with the Gov GovCon arena. They're like, hey, I, I got this contract. They would need it staffed up. They needed this person by next week. And I'm like, did you ask about it if it's fully funded or is this a proposal? And like, you know, they go ask that question, come back a proposal. I'm like, you understand that there's like 15 other companies putting in proposals too. So the likelihood of you actually making that placement is so low. So you need to figure out another way to like, you know, I hate to say this, also get paid. But and sometimes these proposals can take like six months to a year, even before they're awarded. But so the person that you're like trying to hire now isn't going to be around waiting for six months to a year. So it's it's a completely different beast. And you, then you throw on security clearances and like all sorts of different levels. And a lot of these people try to stay hidden. So they're not like hanging out on LinkedIn. You know, hey, I'm looking for the next job. They have a high level security clearance where they're not supposed to be on a lot of these platforms. So it's it's a, it's a fun beast. And if you want a good laugh, me and my wife joke around constantly about leaving. But then like, you know, we get a call and it's an interesting project or an interesting contract or, you know, one of the cool things that you like about recruiting within the government contracting space is the team that you're building has an impact on Americans across the globe and the safety of Americans across the globe. So it's, you got to focus on finding the right people. And, you know, I think because of that, we have a passion for the space. So, so this is why, so just to unpack it a bit, it, uh, as opposed to, let's say myself, I would go to, let's say Goldman Sachs, where they would come to me and say, hey, we have this job. Can you fill it? I'm like, yeah, sure. And we work on it. It's pretty simple. It sounds what, with your world, what happens is that you have these ginormous contracts, you know, multi-million, billion dollar contracts for things. And you have the big players bidding on it. But once they get it, they need someone to staff up. So then they go to companies like yourself that know the people, understand the game, know how, and you have to have clearances, I understand, right? So you have to make sure that you could find candidates, which is probably really a big challenge, who have certain clearances so that they can work on this contract because you don't want to get a spy coming in, right? And then- I mean, if you like for a lot of these like high level cleared positions, if they don't have the clearance, like there is no, like you can't submit them. Or how, if you how sit, hard is how hard is it to get a clearance? Is this like something like really ridiculously hard and they scrutinize every aspect of your life? They come to your house, you know, knocking uh, on your door. Is that I, knocking on your neighbor's doors, knocking really? on the places that you used to work? I mean, it all depends on the, the level of security clearance that you're talking about. If it's a basic secret clearance, a lot of companies will sponsor that for the person. So a person like right. myself, I can't individually go get a security clearance. You have to be sponsored by a company or by the government or by the military. Wow. And that's the, like the only way to get it. So like, it's really, it's a fight for everybody that already has these security clearances. So it's a, it's a, it's a small shrinking pool of people that all us recruiters are fighting over. And of course the government's like, Hey, we, we need more work or we need more of this. And we're like all looking around like, well, there's not enough people. All right. You know, Smile and dial, send some post postcards, hang out at a Chick Fil A, whatever it takes to find the people. <laughs> so, so like, so in other words, when for for these government jobs, and it just 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 give some color on it. And if you can't, if you, some things you're not allowed to say, I get it. I don't want to put you in a bad spot. But what type of jobs are there that they need this for like really you know serious clearance to do? I mean, think about everything. Like mm -hmm. like in a general basis, think about any organization. Everything from the admin staff to like the programmers to tech support, all those people need those high level clearances. 
on top of the ones doing like the like working on some like high level programs. So think of like a data scientist that's putting together like these large like algorithms and large packs of data for of intelligence. Think about the AI programmer that's now like actually making the AI tools and like you know one of the big things right now is ChatGPT. The CIA is actually working on a program just like ChatGPT for all their intelligence. So it takes like all those people that you would that you would think about at any organization. It's the same thing, but in the cleared space. But all those people have to have high level cleared, like high level clearances. You know, I didn't even think about it because like when you, it, it makes sense even, you know, the lowest level person needs to have the clearance because they're the ones who could maybe smuggle out some data, some, you know, contracts and whatever. So, so like, so your job has to be really tough because I, like, I think as you mentioned, there's only X amount of people who have this clearance check or, or some people probably don't want to go through it because maybe they have some oh. stuff in their closet that they don't want to expose I mean, or they're a little worried or they don't want to get involved. They don't want the government in their business. That got to be hot, what, like ridiculous. Like how do you find people that? Post-COVID, yeah. it got harder post-COVID. And the well, reason why it got harder post-COVID is because all these people, they're not allowed to do this work at their house. Like a lot of the work that they do, they can't do at the house, but due to the security systems and security protocols and, you know, all this stuff. So they have to go into an office and it, with, uh, most of the time could uh, skip a secured facility. So all these people doing COVID, like started looking around, like, I don't want to like work in the office. Amazon and Google are now paying like just as much as like these cleared positions. So, like I get to work from home. So like the, we lost a lot of people in the cleared space during this window. But when, why did office? I mean, can you just, just get a, like a WeWork office or is the has to be a certain kind of office? That's very specific. It, it, like there, there are specifics on like how it's built out, the infrastructure in the building, like window stuff. Like you can't bring your phone into a skiff. Like you, there's like lockers outside. Like you have to leave a lot of times, like leave your like computer and equipment in, in your car. Like it is, like there's, it's such a different level. And a lot of people are just like during COVID, like, why am I doing this? Why am I going to the office when Google's going to pay me X or Amazon's going to pay me a lot of money? Yeah. You know, it used to be like cleared positions used to be like, I used to call it like a, a full scope poly, the highest level or one of the highest level security clearances is TSSCI, which is a top secret, uh, full scope poly. And that typically is working with like the, the NSA, the CIA, a little bit of the FBI, and you see it at a few other places. But I used to call it Willy Wonka's golden ticket because it is job security if you get one of those. And to get one of those, it can take over two years. This is where they, like, they interview your friends, they interview past relationships, they interview the companies that you've worked in. Like my wife, for the longest time, I worked at a, she helped build a, a kind of another staffing agent. We have like, individuals come in constantly to do interviews. So they'd pour into a room. She'd have to spend about 30 minutes to an hour talking about one of the people that she trained because they were going through the clearance process. So <laughs> your eyes are bucking but, out. But I, it's because it sounds like recruiting for people who aren't recruiters. They don't realize they probably think, oh, it's just so easy. You find some of that set. It's pretty challenging. But now this is like another level. This is kind of, you know, makes it even harder. But once I think, you, so once you do have the clearance though, then like you said, that's the ticket, then you're okay. Yeah. Or do they still check you afterwards every once in a while? They check you like every five years on average. Yeah. It depends on the security clearance. During COVID, they extended it just because investigators were, uh, you know, having some trouble. 
like getting and finding everybody. But yeah, like every few years you have to go through the reinvestigation. And if you want a good laugh, like one of my clearance investigations, I didn't like if mine was only a secret level. So it was like the last seven years I had to be like detailed my entire life, but I didn't realize that they only wanted the last seven years. So I still had the seven years previous on there. Mm -hmm. And because I had all that, like on the, my SF-86, they had to go investigate everything. <laughs> like, and the, the investigator was just like, I wish you read the part saying it was like the last seven years yeah. because we, we have to now go chase everything. And so it was like, you know, shortly after college or whatever, a trip to Germany, they had to like check into like all sorts of stuff. Yeah. So if you took a trip like in another country, they're going to like, why were you at Germany? Oh, and who did if, you if, if you go out of the country, you have to let your security person know so they can give you a briefing beforehand too. On the positive side, let me, do you feel by doing this job that you're doing your part, you know, to help out the country and to really, you know, really I mean, make a difference? I, I think that's one of the thing, reasons why we keep on getting pulled in is just the passion for the space. Yeah. It's one of the things like in recruiting, like, let me take a step back. There are a few life decisions that a person makes, who they marry, where they live, where they go to school, and what they do. As recruiters, we have an impact on the what they do on every single day of like somebody's life. Like We are dealing with life-changing jobs for people. And here's the thing, in the cleared space, in the, in the GovCon space, like the purse, the Intel analyst that you find, or the data analyst, they could find something that's bad, that's bad, bad that ha is happening and get that flagged. But if mm -hmm. like that position goes unfilled and that, that incident doesn't get flagged or found like American lives can be lost. Wow. I mean, there's been plenty of times where I've been sitting in the recruiting chair externally and even like some external like support. I mean, internally and even external support, they're like, Hey, if we don't get this job filled, it is a detriment to X, Y, Z, and Americans have the possibility of dying. So That's it's, so it's, you know, you like hear that you, you go to town, you go to work hard and, you know, you, you put put in the work and, and recruiting is one of those, you know, the, the checks are nice, the pay's nice, but it, it could be a thankless job, but it's cool. Like, like, Okay, cool. I helped that team or that thing that happened over there. Yep, I helped build that organization. Or like this like natural disaster that happened. Well, we were able to move in the American, you know, you know, XYZ disaster response was able to move in quicker because we built out the cloud team for that program. So it's it's cool seeing the behind the scenes benefits of the teams that you helped build. To a lesser degree, um, I would place people primary compliance, legal risk and order. But after 9-11, there's a huge need for anti-money laundering compliance professionals and sanctions. And I found these folks were so passionate, the same way I could sense on you the, the passion, because they realized, wow, look what, ha what, could ha what happened with 9-11, and it could happen again. And we're the ones who are watching out to make sure that, you know, you're not having you know, whatever bad actors sending money through the banks to do terrorist activities. And so they would really take a lot of pride in terms of what they do, because they felt, hey, I'm not going on the battlefield, but I'm doing something that's really helpful. So I could, I, I could 
understand where you're coming from, where you feel not only is it a job and you're making a living and making a nice living, but you're really doing something, you know, rewarding because you're helping people and helping the country. And yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent on that. And it's also one of the things that like, when I'm talking with recruiters, and I think this is because of the podcast and because like people reach out to me because of the podcast, like, like people actually, if you want to get off, this is like back when I started my recruiting career, it's something I learned when they told me that they wanted to fire me because I sucked at recruiting. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 people understand the passion in your voice or on video about what you have about the, the position. Like if you're just like, hey, I have this job and it's a Intel analyst and um, yeah, it's gonna pay 65K, do you want this? What are people gonna say? No. But what if I have this, I have this opportunity and it's working and supporting this group over here and this group over here is on the forefront of capturing Intel to save Americans' lives. It's an, I can go into the opportunity. If you hear the passion that you have, mm -hmm. it's going to be a much different like answer than the, I have a job open. Well, let me, so let me unpack a couple of things. One, I agree wholeheartedly. The, the funniest thing to me is always this, when you're recruiting and you have the candidates who just, you know, are yes, no, I do X. And you're like, can you, can you just, you got you to give a little bit more. You got to talk more. You got to have some energy because no one wants to hire someone. It's just like, blah, 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 blah. You know, Charlie Brown teacher kind of wah, wah, wah. You want someone who's like excited and jazzed and really like revved up to go. And if you're not, and it's, and it's so unfair because uh, this happens all the time. And you probably see this. You could have somebody who has less experience, not as great, but because they bring the passion, they bring the motivation, they bring the drive, they, they're upbeat, they're friendly, they're fun to work with. They'll get the job over the person who has a better resume and more experience because eh, that person, it's going to be just miserable dealing with this person. Screw it. Let's get the other person. I, I've seen it so often. And I, I think what's funny is like, like the people that have that energy in the space, like do, I don't want to say do a lot better, but yeah, it's, I mean, it's in a space where a lot of the candidates can't actually say what you're doing. The resume that you have doesn't really cover what they actually do. You know, it's like, it's so sometimes those like little minor things that can definitely make the difference but with a hiring manager, with a team or with a program or with whatever the contract is or customer is. Yeah, I want to talk about your podcast, but before then, I just want to, this might be a, a little crass, so I want to try to be very discreet and polite. Given what's happening now on the international stage between what's happening in the Middle East, in Ukraine, does that mean within your space that there's just going to be a lot of activity now? Because who knows what's going to happen? And I'm not a defense expert by any means, but I would imagine if I was like a senior person in the administration, I'd be wanting to get as much armaments and everything. And so is this kind of a time where actually, you know, from you and people, you know, who are working to help out the government, this is going to be a boom time? So I don't, I don't know. Like you would think yes, but at the uh -huh. same time, like a lot of the spending has to be pushed by Congress. Mm -hmm. So it all comes down technically to the congressional budget. So if we can pass a congressional budget that has large defense spending, right. 
but right now we're kind of stuck on uh, another continuing resolution. So it really depends on in you know coming into November if we're actually going to pass a congressional budget not or or not, or is it going to be a continuing resolution with additional spinning towards DoD? So. Well, so this is another roadblock you got to deal with. So not, in addition to all the other roadblocks, if the government isn't going to kind of say, all right, we're going to have a budget for it, then you're in trouble. If they have a budget, that's good. So that's another headache that you, oh, most recruiters don't have to deal with to that degree. You know, most recruiters, they hear like, okay, we have headcount reduction or budget, but this is like, you're depending on the whole government. So one of the things that like, when you hear about the news about yeah. a government shutdown, you always hear about the federal employees. Guess mm -hmm. what? At the end of the day, the federal employees almost always get their money back. What's impacted is the hundreds of thousands of government contractors that are, are literally like the week of a government shutdown are, like, are trying to find out if they're a classified essential person and they continue to continue to work or they're not essential and they have to go home without a paycheck. So many times those companies, those government contracting companies have to make the decision of, we're not going to pay these people and have a risk of losing them, or we have to go negative into profit margins. Like there, I, so many owners that like during one of the large government shutdowns talked to like, Hey, I had to mortgage my house to be able to pay my employees. I took a major line of credit. I'm still paying it back like two, three, two years later because I had to make up because I wanted to keep my people. So, so, so in other words, if let's say they don't pass a budget and they're not going to pay for these contractors, then the contractors aren't going to work. They're not going to get paid. And then you're not going to get paid, I imagine, because you're, you know, you're, you're not getting these, they're not working. So it's, I just... mean, it's, it's part of that space. And I got another caveat about the space too, Ooh. but it's, it's one of the things like a lot of like the conversations that we've been having prior to the, this last almost government shutdown, companies are afraid to hire because they also were like, we don't know which way the, the Congress is going to go and how it's going to affect our, our payroll, how it's going to affect the, the margins. So it's a conversation that like, you know, luckily the first shutdown was horrible. So it was the second one that I went through, but you kind of now, once you have your own business, you have to, it's part of the space that you have to prepare for, for your own company, unfortunately. If it makes you feel any better across the board in other sectors too, for white oh, yeah. collar, mid-level, it's rough. Oh my I, gosh. I've I'm watching, so I'm watching people. the tech sector in recruiting. Like it, it's been, excuse my language. It's horrible. I, <laughs> I, I it is horrible, so, but you know we've done a good job preparing because we've expected this, and so we're like, you know, let's see what the government does. But once the government actually does come together, guess what? the The government machine has to keep on moving. And another caveat about government contracting that most people like, you remember I was telling you about how the government asked for help on moving the joint warfighter effort to the cloud, and Google mm -hmm. and Amazon got selected. Well, most government contracts go up for rebid every five years. So like, the, it, it will give you a perfect example, like Lockheed Martin can have this program for like five years. They have to rebid to win it again with the government. So while they're coming in and like rebidding, saying that we're doing such an amazing job, other companies are coming in. They're like, hey, we can do a better job than Lockheed Martin. Give us the work. So you know, we also, one of the things that we do with this business is also help like contract changeovers and all that stuff. Like it's a, it's a different beast. And I tell recruiters this all the time that in the recruiting industry, there are a thousand ways to skin a cat. There are bunches of different ways to create revenue for yourself. 
Like you have to go in your niche, figure out what works for you. And man, I just, if you want a good laugh, I had a podcast that went live today of a recruiter in the logistics space who got a $25,000 a month retainer helping a company set up the ATS. So like when you're a recruiter thinking about the things that you're doing, you need to look about how you can service your customers and give the best support, like fill roles, like help them do stuff. Like there's all sorts of different ways that you can create value for your you know, organization or your clients or your customers that in the end that you could also benefit too. This is wild. Is this, is this anything like, I can't remember the name of the movie, but Jonah Hill was in it where they made, you know, this bid, <laughs> they got the contract, they don't know what they're doing. Does that happen too? Like crazy stuff like that? I mean, you would think, you would think that the government does a better job, like, like seeing things, but it's, it's one of the, the worst things about, I think the bidding process many times is you, th you like, if you think about this, it sounds perfect. The government, we call it the, you know, lowest like LPTA. So it's like the lowest price technical something, but like we'll, 25 companies will come in and give like their numbers, how, like exactly how they're going to support the government. And then sometimes the government just picks the lowest price one. And like, which you would make sense. Like, Hey, it's going to save the taxpayers money. But then right. like, I, this was like years ago. I, I was this. I was internal. I was an internal recruiter at a company. They were celebrating. The B, business development team just won a huge contract supporting the the Maryland customer that starts with the N, N and ends in an A and has a middle initial of a middle letter of S. Mm -hmm. Um, and they're like, we won this work celebrations, big dinner, like company wide thing. And then they came to me because I was like the focus on like that high level clearance recruiting, and they're like, we need you to find a. Java developer for the new contract that we won. And they need to have six years of experience, TSSCI, full scope poly at 75K. And I was like, I literally just like responded back to the manager. I was like, go fire your business development person. I got in trouble for that, which I didn't care. But I'm like, you bid the program so low, you bid it to win it. You didn't bid it to fill it. And that's one of the challenges that like we also work with like other government contractors is like talking about like, hey, what is, what is, the market look like to fill it versus what does the market look like for you to win the work? So it's, it's a juggling, a juggling thing. And I've seen the government just come in, like we gave it to the lowest thing and the lowest company and the company's turning around and like, uh, we need some TSSCI um, help desk people that need to be in the office in the DC Metro for $32,000 a year. And I just look, we just look at them and they're like, we can't support you. You bid it to win it but you didn't bid it to fill it like this is your problem and so they can't we, change it they can't kind of go back and say hey we made a mistake we underbid so, it sometimes you can yeah. but other times like there's the customer the government's like well this is what you said you could do so now we're waiting on you and the thing is if you also can't fill a lot of government programs it also hurts your ability to keep on bidding on other exactly programs. so then next time you bid they're going to be oh these guys bid too low and they didn't get it done so yeah we're not going to even deal with them so yeah and and if it's horrible the government will even like pull a contract i've seen that happen multiple times where if you can't get like get your get the program staffed up like the government will come and strip away the program and put it up for like you know the proposal process again and you know we've gotten calls from like you know potential clients they're like hey 
we really need some help. And once we start like digging in and like during our discovery calls, like finding out that it's a code red emergency that they're going to lose this work if they don't fill it. And then like, once we start looking at the numbers, we're like, well, this is why you can't fill it because based on blah, 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 blah. So yeah, it's, it's a really interesting space. It's never a dull moment. And it's, I don't want to say it's got a high barrier to entry for recruiters, but it's definitely got, you have to learn the nuances and you have to also have a, a passion for this space too. Absolutely. hundred percent, especially given all the challenges or the difficulties, all the things you have to overcome, you have to like it. You have to love it. Otherwise it's just too much. It's too, it's just too many hurdles you have to jump over to make and this work. You mentioned that these workers, they can't be on a public platform like LinkedIn. So how do you find these government contractors? And then we had a great question from Susan who asked, how do these workers legally share their security clearance in their resume? Can they put it on LinkedIn? Could you elaborate? So, a lot of times, like they don't want you to be have like a LinkedIn profile or want you to have a lot of social media or it's very cleaned up. You know, a lot of people will put their their security clearance level on their resume, or actually at least on their LinkedIn profile, just because they know recruiters are looking at it. And they especially make those updates when they're about ready to make a job change, or a contract is coming up for rebid. So, when, like when it comes to adding a security clearance on their resume, I would say probably about 80 percent of the people do. The other ones, you have to kind of just infer what they're doing based on who they're working for, where they're working at. And what they're doing. So, you know, you see like Lockheed Martin working in this location in Maryland, like, and it, you can tell it's very cleaned up because every resume actually has like a high level cleared person has to have their resume approved by a, a security person too, before it goes public. So you can kind of like, you know, once you've seen the stuff, you can kind of learn what to look for. When it comes to finding people, there's probably two, like I'd say two of the best platforms out there for cleared recruiting. One is clearance jobs, which it's a job board, especially for the cleared uh, professional. Like I'm not a fan of job boards. Job boards at most of the time are a waste of money, but clearance jobs is one of the best job boards and they are worth, worth their money. The second one is Seekout. Seekout uses a combination of AI and machine learning based on like what people are doing, who they've worked for before, their locations and where they're working. And, you know, they, they're able to capture the people that have like posted clear, cleared stuff on their, like their LinkedIn profile and other places, but they're also using a lot of AI and ML to infer what a, what level of security clearance they may have based on what they're doing in their background. That's actually another really cool tool. I'm going to check and it out. Yeah, because I've been looking at a lot of these tools. Like, it's really interesting. Find them, and there, there's a bunch now out there that are doing well, really cool stuff. I mean, there's there's a, a thousand tools because a lot of companies realize how cheap it is to get, like, the basic level data sets. Mm -hmm. And the 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 power of having a monthly, you know, what was it the monthly MMR or whatever, monthly recurring revenue of a data platform. So that's why you see a lot of people play it, but there's, like, you know, only a few, only a few companies that I think are, are, are super solid. I think another one that I've enjoyed recently, it's called better leap. They actually have a cleared, like, like section two for cleared candidates. And I had some fun digging through their stuff. So I would say those are like the th three of my favorite outside of networking, outside of the, the power, the power of your own internal database. Cause these people like kind of pop up like once every five years, like, whoop, 
two, like a little gopher that pops up like once every five years. So like you want to capture that information and keep it, hold it close in your own database so you can go back and like, like find that person again. Well, I know you do something also to find people, which is a little bit more fun, which is the podcast. So maybe, so, so it's, it's not as much hurdles and that's probably a little bit more enjoyable, but can, can you share a little bit about, you know, your podcast, you know, you've, gosh, you get a great number, you have awesome guests. I tagged a lot of people on it because I was so, you know, it's like, wow. Cause I was looking through all the different podcasts and like, wow, you have such a diverse slate of people who are on your show. So how do you use the podcast to get noticed, to get candidates, to get now, ordinarily, I would say from companies, but you would want to get noticed also, I guess, by the government, right? So I'm not really personally chasing the government. So okay. I we've made that decision to not be a government contractor okay. and only support government contractors. Mm -hmm. You know, we like to go overseas and enjoy our travel and, you know, shut it down when we want to shut it down. You can't do that if you had a government contracting company. So the pod, like I... Podcasting isn't for everybody, but there is so much power in creating a podcast. And one of the nice things about a podcast is one, if you, if you make an industry podcast, like a perfect examples are Scott Love and, you know, does an amazing industry podcast focused on lawyers. You can make that as a super business development tool. And if you're looking at doing another podcast, like, you know, I, I don't have a podcast on GovCon. But a lot of the people on LinkedIn that make hiring decisions see me all the time posting about recruiting stuff, whether it's GovCon or podcast related, because I'm, I'm having these guests on here, because they're talking about like what they're doing and sharing their success. The cool thing is, is like, the podcast, I'm shining my entire light like on these awesome guests, like, you know, questions lined up, conversations, great. But because I'm shining light out on them, it's an automatic light shining back on me. So as you know, the hiring managers and the company leaders are every time they pop up on LinkedIn, which isn't as much as most of us recruiters, they see me like every single day in their in their feed. Mm -hmm. Every time they pop up, I'm I, I'm in their feed because people within the industry are clicking, liking, and all that stuff. So when I make that call or when I talk about that, talk to that organization, there are many times they already know who I am, even though I actually don't know who they are because it's like a cold message or a cold call. So like, oh yeah, Benjamin. Okay, yeah, I've seen your stuff. Like, I've had calls that like of people that are not in recruiting. Like, hey, I I saw your podcast. Love to chat with you about stuff. So what the podcasting has done, and I didn't realize this for a long time, is it having a podcast can create a bit of authority in a space that you didn't have before. Without a doubt, a hundred percent. So interesting what you pointed out is that. You know, I, I write for Forbes. I post pretty much every day because I'm like one of those people. Maybe I'm on the spectrum where if I do things, I have to kind of do it. You know what I mean? It's like, all right, I gotta, I gotta work out. I gotta write. I gotta do this, and I just keep, you know, really super focused on it. And so many people would react to me as if they know me because they see, you know, you know whether you know I have this kind of the LinkedIn Live that I turn into a podcast, or the Blind Ambition podcast you know, the writing so that people feel like, oh, I know him. And it's the weirdest thing because for recruiting, you have this barrier a lot of times where, you know, a company or the job seeker is skeptical. Who's this recruiter? Who's this Jack Kelly? Who's this Ben Mina? I don't know. I don't trust these recruiters. But if they see you often enough, 
it's the weirdest thing. They they feel they know you, they're comfortable with you. And then it just makes the, the business relationship so much easier and better, right? It's it's well, it's wild. It's like a superpower. And let me just kind of break down a few things. Like I, I highly recommend like starting a, a industry-focused podcast on whatever mm-hmm. your industry is. And here's the thing. Like, Jack, how many sales emails did you get from people trying to sell you something this week so far? You know, I don't get that many. I don't know. You're you're lucky. You're lucky. So well, how many, like how many is a lot? I'll get, I get these weird ones, but they go into, but you know what happens? They go into, let's say on LinkedIn, it just goes into that other box. So a lot of times yeah. I don't even see it at all. But like even your, your email, like you email get, like, a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Email a lot. Do you, do you like, I'm sure you try to respond to a lot of them, but do you, can, no. do you respond to, you don't? No, cause I can't. It's just so much. I just can't. So, so, so picture this. So picture this. Like. If you got an email request to be on a podcast talking like you know, a podcast focused on financial services, what would your response be? Oh, yeah, that, that I'll respond to for sure, because I get that with PR pitches. <laughs> so so what happens, you know, in my world for the writing part, right, is that you'll have these PR people who always keep an eye out. Hey, does this you know person, you know, do I have a story and is Jack in this lane to talk about it? and they'll head us up? oftentimes they're not on target, which is fine. I'll keep that relationship because maybe in the future they'll have something. Um, so yeah, so there's certain things I definitely keep my eyes open and I'll respond for sure. If they'll come and they have an interesting guest, you know, an interesting topic to write about it. I'm like, sure, I'm in. And, but think about that. If you're a recruiter and you're trying to like, you know, be a little different and mm-hmm. like, connect, with, connect with the hiring manager, what if you send an uh, invite to be on a podcast? Compared to the, hey, my 15th follow-up, hey, do you need some help? Or here's my NPC. Right. And so you you host a person on the podcast. You now have a relationship built with them. So like anytime that you're moving forward, like communication-wise or reaching out to them about potential like positions be, that need help being filled, you already have a relationship with somebody in that company. And here, and one another cool thing is like you can use technology. Like you post the, the podcast online like you, YouTube and all these places. So you're actually highlighting, we'll say Jack Kelly, if you're a, a specialist at Goldman Sachs, you're now highlighting this awesome person mm-hmm. at Goldman Sachs. But guess who's also going to see that? Every single person in his circle. And the cool thing about a podcast is one podcast can easily turn into anywhere from 10 to 30 days of content, like one interview. So you can use technology like ChatGPT or some backend things to kind of like strip your podcast, mm-hmm. take take some notes from it. You know, break it down into key insights that could be shared on a LinkedIn carousel or a LinkedIn story. There's a program called Opus Pro. So one of the cool things, like once this podcast is up, you can literally just drop the YouTube link into Opus Pro. It'll go create like 20 like social media cuts uh, using AI. Like 10 of them will probably suck, but 10 of them are probably going to be like, or I'd say about five are going to mm-hmm. be awesome and five are going to be pretty decent. And so you can share those on social media. So you're spending all this time, like, you know, You've created content to highlight somebody else, and now you've like because you you're highlighting him, like you're now magically over you know a few episodes an authority of the space that other people will like look up to. And I did that in the Web three for a bit, and I think it was by like the fifth podcast that I had for my decentralized podcast. I had hiring managers reaching out to me like, "Hey, I need some help," and it's all because you became an authority in the space by one highlighting somebody else and by two creating content and content is what or authentic content is really what sets people apart right now. And 
authentic content, like an interview or a podcast or a video or something of that nature is a lot different because a lot of people are realizing a lot of the stuff that's posted using words is also generated by AI and chat GPT. So it's really, it's a great way to kind of like separate yourself from the pack, be a little different and also have some fun interviewing people. You think for people, we're, we're, you know, we're talking about recruiting, but do you think this transcends to just any kind of job that someone has? You know, let's say you're a manager of whatever XYZ widget company to have a podcast about your niche and the same thing, right? The same premise. It says, instead of just getting candidates to recruit for, you know, maybe to get more business, to just oh, yeah. to burnish your reputation, to, to, you know, show that you're a player in the space. Maybe people never even heard of your company because you're like the third, fourth one down. So you need to kind of get noticed more. It definitely helps with like getting noticed. It definitely helps with setting yourself apart from the crowd. And it, it's a, a creating a podcast, like from when you're starting off, like thinking about creating a podcast, it is actually, you think about it so much work, all these people are doing. And that's why a lot of times having a podcast can really help you create enough content to set you apart because the, the barrier to entry to create a podcast is actually so low. Mm -hmm. It is, it's super easy, but the barrier to thinking that it to creating a podcast is high. So, you know, it's, like you can probably have a successful podcast with two to three hours a week, one hour for the the interview, one hour for some editing, and then publish. Yeah, it is. I hate to say it because I you know do a couple of podcasts, and it is pretty. Once you're once you're started rolling, it is pretty streamlined. It's you know it's like anything else in life. Now you know what to do, how how to set it up, and you kind of get your vibe. And then it just almost, I don't want to say it's on autopilot because, you know, you're doing a lot of, you know, you're doing work, but you kind of, you just go with it. Like for this conversation, I did some, you know, homework. I know you from the past, you know, you know, from speaking a little bit and, and seeing your postings. So just having this like organic conversation and like, I think people who are watching now can appreciate it. This is not scripted. This is not like, you know, so my next question, Ben, is this, you know, it's more of just like, just chatting and having the conversation, which to me is the best way to do it because it's much more fun than just being very rigid and, you know, you know, ask, you know, doing gotcha questions and things like this, because I think the people who, you know, watch and listen to it, they're like, oh, all right, these are two regular guys and they have a lot to offer. This is fantastic. And it's, it, it definitely, it's like, and it's your first few podcast interviews, like, aren't going to be like as flow. Like it, it's, it's something that you learn over time, but it's just, you know, it's a great way to open up some doors. It's a great way to build relationships with people that you haven't, that you one, want to build relationships with. And two, it's just, man, it's just such an easy way to cut through the noise when it comes to like an invite. How many emails have you sent that have not gotten responded to? What if you could like spend a few hours setting up a podcast and create the relationship that way? And real quick, one of my, if you want a good laugh, one of my biggest barriers to like doing podcasts was editing the audio. Like there was all these programs out there that were just like super intense. Like I, I, God bless the people that could pick it up and figure it out. I couldn't. Um, I, I found a program called Descript where it actually like transcribes your audio podcast or your video podcast, actually both like a word document and you edit it like a word document. So like you highlight the, um, and you hit delete 
just like a word document. It takes it out of your podcast. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of like technology now that's around that's like can supercharge like AI technology that can supercharge what you're doing compared to when I started back in 2020, where, you know, I was just trying to figure this out and, you know, ended up using Fiverr or like, it was, it was a lot of work because I was so trying to learn all these tech tools, but now mm -hmm. the tech tools are so smart that it does a lot of the work for you. What do you think about this too, Ben? I find out personally when I have, you know, like this type of, you know, conversation or other pod, you know, co podcasts, I learn so much. It's incredible because, you know, when you're speaking to people, it's like, let's say like tennis, you know, you want to play with somebody who's better than you because you want to up your game. So what I find out by speaking to like these CEOs, these executives, I learn so it's incredible. It's almost like I'm getting an MBA, you know, in business by just hearing their stories, their, uh, you know, their, their career arcs. And you could take a lot of lessons away, which, which is tremendous because now you're like, wow, I didn't know this. And, and, and it compounds because you keep learning, but then also you keep meeting new people that could leverage it. So it's this self-fulfilling prophecy where you're learning, you're growing. And then the more you do it, the more interested you are. And then the more people see you doing it, then they're saying, Hey, I want to be on your podcast or I want to talk to you, you know? Right. So it's, it's, it's a virtuous, positive, you know, spiral. And it's, yeah, no, it's, it's one of the coolest things is like, you know, when I go back and do the editing, I spend an hour doing editing of the podcast and like, you know, the notes that I'm taking, I'm like, oh man, I, that was such a great conversation. I can't believe like he highlighted that or I didn't think about that. Or man, talk about a story arc of like what that person went through while building their company. Okay, mm -hmm. cool. Guess what? You know, if that person could do it, I could do it too. So it, it's really cool. Just the, the conversations that you have and the amount of lessons that you learn while doing these interviews, you know, it's way better. Like some of these lessons that you learn are way better than like what you get in a book or watching a course or something of that nature. Yeah. It's just yeah, you're out there, you're asking the questions that, that you're curious about too. But you're, you know, I always think about the listeners, like where the listeners are at. And that's like, I have a lot of questions built on that. But even then, like the questions I have, like, I just ask and I'm like, all right, man, like, what's this? What's that? Like, like you were asking about GovCon, like how it worked, you know, in my world, that's normal, but outside my world, that's what <laughs> <laughs> I do it outside. I do it all the time. I, I, I have no shame in asking questions that I don't know about because I want to learn. So I don't mind asking what might seem like a dumb question because then, then you know it. Because if you don't ask, you're not going to know it. So it doesn't bother me one iota. Do you feel, let me ask you this, with, with respect to, let's say, TikTok or just writing, does that, is that as good? I'm taking it for you personally. That's not as interesting as doing the podcast, but for other people, if they maybe aren't keen on starting a podcast, would you suggest maybe try TikTok or other things to get to do the same kind of thing, just to get your name out there and to offer value? Like I've been like on the fence about TikTok. Like okay. I know there's a lot of like, I have like, there's a lot of really good creators and the key is like finding the really good creators and kind of emulating what they're doing. But it's, you know, just getting to the cre creators, like you have to get a lot past those like TikTok dances and like, I guess the the NPC people yeah. like, uh, you know, whatever she does and just like says stuff and makes like $7,000 a day. <laughs> um, also, like one of the things on TikTok is just like understanding that almost everybody's trying to sell you something too, but it's just, you got, it's finding the good creators and I just mm -hmm. haven't really spent that amount of time. I think it's also because of the space that we're in, like our customer base isn't really there. Yeah. 
but like, you don't have to start a podcast, like start, like, you know, start writing, like make two good LinkedIn posts per week. Even if nobody likes it, nobody clicks on it, get in the habit of creating content. The goal is to create more than you consume. Hmm. And then do you think, you know, when I look at a lot of, uh, let's say on LinkedIn, when you have a lot of content, to me, oftentimes it seems they feel I need to do content. So they do it, but there's like not a lot to it. Do, do, do you notice that? Do you know what I'm talking about? It's almost like they feel they're supposed to do it. So they do it, but their heart isn't into it and they haven't really done the homework. And it's just almost, I don't want to say it's cringe, but it's just almost, you know what? Don't, don't bother with that then. If you're not ready, you're not sure what to do. Maybe, maybe just work harder. I don't know. What, what do you think? I mean, it's, it's, it's really just, you got to find like what your avenue of success yeah. is and you got to find the things that help set you apart, like apart from the crowd and whether it's making a TikTok video or whether it's like LinkedIn posting, like I suck with writing, like I suck. Like it, it, writing is not my strong suit. So, you know, that's why I've kind of leaned a little towards like, you know, interviews and like, mm -hmm. I, if you want a good laugh, like I didn't start really like uploading the interviews to YouTube until like maybe episode like 80. <laughs> now, what like, was that? Cause you, you weren't sure how it was. So you're just taking your time. You're a little like worried well, how people can appreciate it. Well, I also like, you know, I've never really spent that much time on YouTube, which mm -hmm. fall to my own. I also like was afraid of video editing. Like I didn't know how to learn that and that kind of stuff, you know, but I figured out how to do like an audio podcast. I figured out how to edit it. I figured out how to publish it. And, you know, you never know where people like will find you too. Like it's, it's the weirdest thing. Like you post a, a, a you know, your podcast on LinkedIn, you get, I, I get like one, like, like, it's crazy. I, I'll get like one person to like it and it's like, all right, cool. That's it. And then I hop online and look at the stats and I'm like, oh, over 10,000 downloads this month. That's kind of cool. It's great. It's <laughs> awesome. So you just, you never know where it's going to go and you need to figure out like your like way to set yourself apart. And, you know, for a lot of people, like it's just going back to work. Like the conversations that you have on the phone, the relationships that you build, like how can you set yourself apart? And it's whatever it, that you're the best at, go harder on that. But also one of the things that I've learned probably because of all the interviews that a lot of these like high level billers in the recruiting space, yes, they're on the phone a lot, but they've also created like this ecosystem whether they're talking at conferences, whether they're interacting at conferences, whether they're doing stuff and they've created this content ecosystem mm -hmm. that they realize they haven't really created that's helped set themselves apart and help like propel their business. So, you know, it's, and one, one more thing about like content, content a lot of the time is evergreen. Mm -hmm. You never know when somebody's going to listen to this podcast. You never know when somebody's going to like watch that video. So you're creating this evergreen platform and this foundation of, and let me take a step back. There are two ways to, to, to do business, in my opinion. Hunt, where you actively go, make those calls, send those emails, chase down the business, you know, dig in the relationships. And then you have farming, where you're planting those seeds for tomorrow. And that's what content is, whether you, the stories, the, you know, the articles that you write, the podcasts that you have, that all is, you know, you're planting seeds that might come up a year from now. You're planting seeds that might come up, you know, weeks from now maybe even two years from now, like weird thing. Like I have a LinkedIn article that I posted three years ago 
that still brings in leads to this day. Mm. It makes sense. It's, 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 I, you have to, it's almost like what you're saying in part is you have to put yourself out there. You have to find what you're good at. Now you feel very comfortable in terms of having conversations via a podcast and, and you're fluid, you're comfortable, you're in your, your zone. So that's perfect. For other people, they may have to find different ways. It could be maybe someone wants to be a TikTok influencer. Maybe somebody's a good writer. Maybe somebody, whatever it may be. Um, so it's really finding what you're good at and then just just run with it and to try to, to get notes. And I like what you're saying about the evergreens because it's true. Because, um, you know, if you if you write about certain things, you know, how to negotiate salary, how to do an elevator pitch, you know, how to network, those are going to be, you know, enduring. So like people always kind of check it out and look when they're like, how do I do this? And they see Ben has a whole podcast on this. So it, it helps out tremendously. Uh, but let me, let me, I wonder for people who are watching this now or kind of watching it later, do you think for, let's say job seekers, because it's tough for white collar professionals, in my opinion, what I'm seeing, we talked about this a little before, it's really tough. And, you know, it's hard to find a job. People they're hurting their self-esteem and their self-confidence because like, what the heck is going on? Like today, I just saw on Twitter, someone posted about, hey, what's going on? I can't find a job. And it had to be at least a hundred plus responses, everybody saying the same thing. And for, so for jobs, because would you suggest maybe they should either have a podcast and maybe talk about their experiences and being authentic and raw, like here's what I'm going through. And that Maybe other job seekers could learn lessons from them. And then maybe a hiring manager may check it out and say, wait, this person sounds great. I want to talk to this person. Is that some, is that crazy? Or do you think maybe, you know, I, I think like if you're in the middle of a, like a, a long job search, I think a right. podcast could be too much work, hmm. but one of the things that I think you could do yeah. is create like positive content on different social medias. Uh, platforms about the stuff that you've mastered, the accomplishments that you've had, the stuff that you've learned and sharing stuff. And so, and then start interacting with some of the hiring managers within the space. So I, th I think one of the things that because technology has made it so easy to apply for jobs that you, you think you're doing work when you just are clicking the apply button, mm -hmm. but the problem is you're clicking the apply button. And so is 900 other people for the same job. And there are many like, of course, talent and acquisition teams have gotten cut over the last few years. So, you know, right, recruiters have been impacted the most. So if a company got rid of a lot of the recruiters, they're not going through every single applicant most often. So you need to find a way to like have like connect with the hiring managers, the ones that are the decision makers. I guess apply to the job, but don't just like apply and pray. There's a lot more work in 2023 and 2024 that you need to do that's hard that takes time to to land the job because it is rough out there and i think because the technology has made it so easy to apply it's also made it harder for many recruiters to go through everybody and then the problem also is you know you have 900 applicants you have 100 good ones you know the hiring manager isn't going to look at 100 people they're only going to look at like five and make a decision from there yeah, that's just what makes it so tough. Like I'll put up, take a, a little side step 
a few months back when crypto was really hot and remote was hot, I would put in, let's say, a chief compliance officer, general counsel role, crypto, remote, easy thousand plus you know, resumes. But then when you go through it, no exaggeration, maybe four are okay. And not even great, okay. And then maybe two are, mm. so it's, it's, it mucks up the whole work because there's no way I could really analyze a thousand plus and just, 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 just one job posting. And what happens, and then job seekers understandably get upset. Like, why does oh, yeah. get back? But then it's impossible to get back. So we get this weird broken system that just, just, just makes everybody irritable and unhappy and, you know, and miserable. And, you know, these are people that, you know, they're, they're, rents on the line their mortgages are on the line of course they're going to be upset and then you know it's like it's one of the toughest things that i've seen within the talent acquisition space this year is just how ta went from the most amazing thing we need everybody to like we don't need any recruiters and i know i know some of the best recruiters that i know got laid off like these are like some of the best of the best that yeah. like staffed up these entire companies and like i was watching them hit hit walls and you know one of the biggest things that they like that I've seen a lot of them do is just lean into the relationships that they had, like lean into, and that goes into like many of them, the past few years of creating a brand, creating content for themselves that they they were able to lean on in those tough times based on all the social capital that they've built over the last few years. But a lot of times, like people, when they're in the job search, that's when they start building that social capital, or at least that's when they try to start building that social capital. And that bank isn't full. Like you haven't put enough deposits in to be able to make that withdrawal out. What would you say? So we talked about the candidates. What about the recruiters? Because I've seen the same thing. There's, you know, I'm in a lot of these Facebook recruiter groups and you could feel the pain and the anguish and the worry and the concern. Um, what what could they do? But then by the same token, it doesn't just have to be recruiters, other people. Do you have any suggestions like how, like what they could do to say, how, how do I get back to work or at least try to do something? I would to say like one of the, like, this is something I did a while back and somebody reminded me of it online when they posted about it. So um, like you have to really set yourself apart from the crowd and a lot of people are just applying. And I remember when I've actually hired recruiters before I'd have a job posting, I'd get like so many applicants, but it, this is going to sound funny. Maybe one person would reach out to me. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, we saw that I saw that you have an opening on LinkedIn. Love to connect with you on chat with you. Like one person of so many, I'm like, you got to put your recruiting hat on. You have to like go like do the hunting. And I think a lot of like your recruiters during this like the crazy times may have gotten a little too reliant on just waiting for applicants. So if you're a recruiter looking for a job right now, this is going to requ require a lot of work. But there's a lot of tech tools that you can actually use to make this like. Your, your recruiting tools that you can use, but you probably have to pay for mm -hmm. to make this job easy. But like, you know, don't be afraid to like, one, connect with a, the hiring manager, connect with a manager at that company and do like build a sourcing list. Like I did this a few years ago to kind of like when I was, we were just kind of starting our, our organization and like trying to like break, break into some doors. I actually found some openings they had built out a source list of people and why I thought they'd be great for that opening and sent that to the person that I thought was going to be the hiring manager for that position and then CC the, the recruiting director. And this was like, you know, when we're like, like every recruiter on there, like that's watching this is going to say, that's the stupidest thing, especially when you have your own firm. 
But like, this is like when we were just getting started trying to get new business and try to get a dollar in, you know, why can't a, like a, a internal recruiter do that too? Like build out a, a build out a list of like, you know, find a few positions, uh, build out a, a LinkedIn list of our Excel spreadsheet of like, you know, 10 candidates for each position. Why do you think they'd be a great fit? And potentially also with their contact information, like show that you're a recruiter and show that you could fill jobs. Because here's the thing, companies only want one thing from you, results. At the end of the day, companies just want results. And if you could produ produce results up front, awesome. If they've already filled that position, respond back like, hey, feel free to feel free to take this list, give it to your internal recruiter, give this to the hiring manager. Do you have any other recruiting director friends that have an opening? I can go do this for them too. Like you have to set yourself apart. And I think one of the challenges right now, there's so many job influencers and like, like TikTok influencers that are saying, don't do free work. But at the end of the day, like maybe that free work can be the difference between you getting hired or you like an, another three months of you not having a job. Like if I was in the job hunt right now, I would be doing that day in and day out, creating like success for a potential co a co company that I was looking at trying to get hired for. It makes a lot of sense. And it, it, it really what I'm hearing too is like people need to advocate for themselves. Yes, you could hit the easy apply button you know, for a job, you know, posting, but you really have to go that extra step. You can't just, you know, spray and pray. You have to do whatever it takes to get noticed, to get in front of the right people, make it happen. I mean, like that's even like what we do. Like, think about this. That's what we do as recruiters. Like we, like, you know, how many for these certain like high level individuals that we're all chasing down, like some of them I know are getting like 20, 30 messages a day from recruiters. How do you set yourself apart and you have to do that even when you're looking for a job. Like, how mm -hmm. can you set yourself apart? And unfortunately, it's not a, like always a cover letter. It's not just always your resume. It's how do you break out of the noise of all the other applicants? How can you do something different? And like, we've all seen like the the, the funny things of like sending a coffee mug or FedExing a coffee mug with a resume. Like, at what point in time do you realize that you got to do something different than just... Mm -hmm hitting the easy apply all day in and day out. Uh, absolutely. Hey, this might not be a fair question because I know you don't have a crystal ball, but being in the, you're still in the DC general area, right? Yeah. What do you sense for the economy? Do you feel, because you're kind of the epicenter of Washington, what's going on? Do you have a feeling we're going to be kind of in this weird, rocky economic space for a while, or you think there's, you know, things will turn around for the better? you have any sense? So it's, that's a loaded question. One, yeah, I got a degree in economics. So I'm always like, you know, digging into the financial reports on the economy and that kind of stuff. I think we are, I, you know, I'd say prepare for a recession, but also like hope that we don't have one. I think we're on the edge of like, and one of the, like, I think we're on the edge of potentially seeing a recession in 2024. I hope we don't. I hope we, we actually do hit that Goldilocks landing. Mm -hmm. But with what's happening in the Middle East, what's happening with oil prices, what's happening with, across the board with, with interest rates, like the Federal Reserve said they are trying to increase unemployment. Like, 
That's crazy, what? right? Like how this works. It's just so bizarre. It's crazy on a macro scale that you need people to get fired to fix the economy. Like this, this is what you guys created. You're getting out of economic tangents. You don't even get me started on that. How it's like, oh, there's no inflation, no inflation. Oh, no, it's transitory inflation. Oh, lots of inflation. So you missed that. But now you can make you know, like regular people lose their jobs because you screwed up and you just put trillions of dollars into the economy, you know, and causing inflation. So it's, it's, uh, I think we're going to, I think personally, I think we're going to see a pullback on the, the economic spending of the American consumer. A um, few different things. One, it's interest rates. Two, the start of uh, student loan payments. And, you know, on top of that, the level of debt where are now like personal consumer debt, it's now at a record level. So I think we're going to see a pullback on that. The economic data is going to see some stuff. Oil prices potentially are going to go up. And because of that, what most companies do is to save their stock prices, they start laying people off. So that also hurts the, the economic yeah. impact. Yeah. <laughs> you were going on like me. And then they're going to like want to hire them back by the thousands shortly after. But yeah, it's it, it, like, we're going to go into a bit of a, a, a cycle where I am not happy with where it's going to go. So if you're listening to those podcasts, you know, I would say prepare for a recession but in the meantime, do whatever it takes to set yourself apart as a candidate, do whatever it takes to set yourself apart as a company. You know, there are people that win during recessions. And if you have to change the industries or find ways like, you know, I, you know, I think one of the toughest things that we do as recruiters is like where identity is attached to the industry that we're in. And if that, you know, industry is I hate to say this, like going down tanks for a year, mm -hmm. it's worth it changing your identity to something else and relearning and relearning some skills and going a little bit of a different direction or like niche down in a different direction in industry. So, you know, give you an example, like things that are hot a year from now are not hot now, but there's things that are hot now that weren't hot a year from now. Like there, I, I because of the recruiting podcasts and some of the recruiting groups that I'm in, I am seeing people have record years, record months in, in business, like making more money now than they've made before. So like, figure out what they're doing. How can you emulate some of the things that are, they're doing? How can you chase some of the different things? And like, you have to make a shift. Maybe sometimes like beating your head against like, you know, focusing on one thing, maybe you need a shift and kind of pivot a little bit to, to go a little bit of a different direction for, to, so that way you can take care of your family. I think that's really wise advice because I think too often, and I'm guilty of myself sometimes, you know, you keep knocking your head against the wall and then you got to come to a period of time where you're like, well, you know, this is not working. I got, you know, you got to figure something else out. And, you know, you're comparing to what you were doing before, like you were amazing and say, but if I do something else, I'm going to have to start all over and that sucks. But then that's how it works. You know, so sometimes you just have to make that pivot and then start again. It's figuring out how to pivot with yeah. the foundation that you already have. Exactly. Because you already built it. So, you know, like, you know, let's say I, what we're doing recruiting, but other people have their own, in, you know, skills and what they do for a living. And so it transfers, a lot of it transfers over. So, right. You're not starting from really scratch because all that learning for the last 5, 10, 20, 30 years could transfer over. It's just starting, you know, changing the way you're doing it, which sometimes is kind of good. Because it's it's a relief to say this is fresh. It's not the same thing again and again and again. Different people, different kind of stuff, different companies, and it gives you kind of a new lease on life. 
So that that's kind of a benefit. And you know, one of the things to think about that like think of this as like the next chapter. Think of this mm -hmm. as two, like, you know, Jack 2.0 or mm -hmm. Benjamin 2.0. Like it's it's gonna take time. It like you might not start exactly where you were the in XYZ, but guess what? You now have the foundational principles to build faster. This is great, man. I, I love it. So, so we've covered a lot of territory. I think we've helped a lot of people. In terms of, um, in terms of the people who who are looking to get on your radar, how can how can they find you? Is it through LinkedIn, X, Twitter? What's what's the best way people could find you? Instagram is probably one of the places where I'm most. Oh, active. really? Instagram. Okay. Um, LinkedIn, you feel free to send me a LinkedIn request. Uh, if you want to listen to some amazing interviews with some amazing people, uh, the, the Elite Recruiter the elite, Podcast. Elite, and is it EliteRecruiterPodcast.com? Do you yep. have kind of, play, okay, EliteRecruiter.com. Go right to there and you can get, uh, you know, how, how many do you have? You have a lot, like a hundred. How many do you have going out? How many did you do already? Just just hop on Spotify or just hop on Apple podcasts and go for, look for the elite recruiter podcast, but uh, mm. just publish the 104th episode nice. today. See, that's a huge accomplishment because, you know, looking seriously, because like looking at, if you ever, if, I don't know if you've done this, if you look at podcast statistics, the vast majority, you have like one, two, three, and stop, you know, it's like it, to go to 104. I would imagine that's probably the one, I bet you without even looking, I bet you that's like in top, at least 5%, if not the top 1% of lasting through it. Because most I, people give up on it. I, if you want to get laugh, like I don't really know podcast industry to yeah. statistics. Like I just started it as a, a dumb idea. And yeah. I, I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to do 50. And then when I got to 50, I'm like, I'll commit to doing hundred. And then I got to like, I was like, when I get to hundred, maybe I'll figure out what I want to do with the podcast. Cause it's really been, like a fun thing for me. And, you know, it's, it's really cool. Like finding things within your industry that you're passionate about and like really just helping tell stories and helping share, share stuff. Like really, like it was really just put together to help try to level up the entire mm -hmm. recruiting community and just share what great recruiters are doing. So that way other people can like, it can help them with their own success. Well, that's fantastic. Any, any, anything I didn't ask you that you'd like to share with the audience? I, I know we covered a lot. So, but anything maybe I, I think we, we were talking about this beforehand, but one of the fun things about the cleared recruiting space, and yeah. this is when I was an internal recruiter, like something can hit your inbox like that it's not supposed to. I, so I went to lunch and, you know, came back from lunch and all of a sudden I get to my desk and there's like a security team waiting for me at my desk. And I'm just like, no, just <laughs> running through my head. Like, what did I do? Like, oh my God, like, am I getting arrested? What oh, the no. hell is happening? Come to find out somebody used a alias that's supposed to just stay on one side of the house, but they used it in an email to me and it got flagged. So they had to come collect my equipment to clean it out. Damn. <laughs> that's yeah. crazy. Like, were you freaking out? Like, oh my God, are you worried? Like, well, oh, oh, they can see all my porn. They can see, like, <laughs> I, I, it, it was a work computer. So like, I don't, like, none of that, definitely. But yeah, like I wasn't concerned. It was just mostly like, oh, like, I, 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 I'm a recruiter. I keep track of like everything going on through my inbox. And now they're having to come like clean my inbox out. I'm like, well, I'm not going to know what's happening half the time. And I think the other fun thing about the cleared space is like, you know, when you're, when you're getting a job, description from Goldman Sachs, you get a lot of information, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Like they give you a lot of stuff. 
like I've had to fill jobs where they can't tell me the location of the job. <laughs> they, can't, they can't tell me what they do. I get maybe like a line of like, and then maybe the, maybe they'll point me to a resume and, but they're like, we need you to go find somebody. Like, oh, sure. That's easy. All right. So I don't know oh. where it's going to be. I don't know if it's remote. I don't know if it's hybrid. I don't know, you know, exactly what like, you're going to do. The, the, the conversation I've had with those is like, it was funny. It's like you talk to the candidates and you tell them or like what government customer it's supporting and, for, and what area you think it might be. And they're like, oh yeah, I know that team. Okay, cool. <laughs> so they can and kind like, of infer like, you know, yeah, what they, it is. They, they, they're able to infer based on the information that I, I have. And like one, they, like then they'll go on the, the classified side and have the full interview and then get mm -hmm. done. I'm like, oh yeah, this is this amazing opportunity. I'm excited. This is like the mission I've been looking for. And I'm like, I have no clue anything about it. Cool. Awesome. That's mission so accomplished. <laughs> but I guess, I guess, cause it's such a, it's a relatively small, small pool of people than let's say the tech sector. So, yeah, so they yeah. get it. So I guess they know it. If they're in that space, they know this is the drill. This is what happens. Ben's not with Benjamin's not withholding stuff from me. It's just, he can't really say it. And I get it. So I'll take a uh, oh. leap of faith and trust him. And that's what goes back to your podcast. Cause then they hear you, they see you, they trust you say, okay, I know you're not telling me what the job is, where it is, what government agency, but I see your podcast all the time. You're not going to mess with me. You're not going to do something dumb because I'm going to just go on social media and say, Benjamin lied to me. You know, he's a terrible person. And I mean, that's the downside too, because that's the risk. So, so you know that people like you have to do a good job because you don't want to get that blowback. So, I mean, one of the things in the space, like I can easily like say like, Hey, um, the actual position's classified. And because I don't have the security clearance that you do, like I, I'm not able to know all the details that you do, and they're like, okay, cool. So uh, I, I, I can't envision. It's so the opposite. It's like, okay, tell me about this, Jack. Tell me about that. What about this? What about this? What about this? What about this? They keep going on. So, so maybe they should go. Okay, you know, I could just say, no, I can't tell you. Just trust me. Go, go on the interview. And, and there are many times where I don't have all those details. Right. What I typically do is I'll go back and I'll, I'll actually dig up the RFP from the government and figure out what the government's talking about, what they need. And I'm able to like talk about the mission based on that, that, you know, non-class RFP, non-classified RFP. So like I have information I can look at. I have information I can dig up on all that stuff. But when it comes down to like, you know, what that job might actually be doing, like, no, I'm not allowed to know. You, you probably know. The way that makes your life easier. You don't have to sell it, you know, because they, they're just going to go and find out themselves. So, you know, makes your life a little easier. Oh. And, and then, yeah, it was, they get placed, then they have to wait for the clearance crossover. And like, it, it's it's a fun space. And definitely, yeah. I highly recommend it if uh, you're in the DC metro and looking for a challenge, GovCon. Excellent. Well, thank you. So I, Benjamin, this is awesome. I, I love all your advice. I love, you know, giving your story because it's so unique and so different than, you know, what just put aside recruiters, but just like any sector, you know, of the industry, it's just so wild to get, you know, like an understanding what's kind of sort of going on behind the curtain. So this is really cool. So I appreciate you taking the time and share it, sharing this with us. So thanks a lot. Oh, thank you, thanks, Jack. Benjamin. And, uh, you know, for the listeners, hope you have an amazing day. Thanks. Take care. Bye-bye.